0: Good day, good evening, and good streaming from the the coming at you from the bookend side, I think anyway for. Uh Part two of uh, somebody, I'm sure almost everybody listening or whatever this would could would love to talk to for hours and stuff, because there's lots and lots to say, that would be Stuart McKenzie of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, who I could almost call the main brain, but there's so many brains and so much talent and multi-instrumentalists and whatnot in that band. I'm not sure there is totally a main brain, although it seems like it is you, but we left off the first hour um you were alluding back to uh music theory and the music school yeah we uh we hey thanks again <laughs> for
1: part two um so we a few of us went to uni together i met joey and um eric there um lucas who i already knew and we we're good friends we played in a band together he he joined the the same he did the same kind of uni course the the next year um so we all sort of became good friends through that. But um, I don't know, it was like an arts degree. It wasn't music, music. It was like, it was called music industry. It was sort of something that I think we all did for the same reason, even though we didn't really know each other. We all did it because we were kind of not really sure what to do. You know, it was like, I liked the idea of going to uni. I liked the idea of just having something to do. Like I already knew I was going to be obsessed with music. I just needed a bit more structure in my life or something like that. And I thought I'd meet people, and I and I and I did. So it was cool to do that. It mostly consisted of um, us getting really wasted, staying up all night, talking, jamming, making music, playing as many shows as we could, talking about life, the world, our philosophies on everything as you know
0: all all good 19 year olds do i suppose something like that well now now to delve in, delve into our uh, second set if you will after uh, intermission the same way you started your second set the first night at Red Rocks namely rattlesnake oh yeah okay Maybe aware, maybe not, that uh, how many rattlers might have been right under you in the ground (laughs) trying to get some damn sleep while Uh. you were doing that. They may be out and about in June, you never know, although you probably won't see them or anything. But as the lyrics grew and the eco-disaster songs began to uh, really surface, and here we are at the Flying Microtonal Banana album again, I noticed the lyrics to Rattlesnake were unusually kind of... uh, Horror angled and violent for you guys. You know, the kind of detail about, about not just being bitten once, but being bitten again and again, and the venom sinks in, and as you're dying, the rattlesnake's gonna, I bite you more and more and more. That's the hell of a rattlesnake. Most of them don't want to run into people at all, they want to leave. What was it that gave you that much of a visual? See, see, rattlers is something that fearsome.
1: You know, I'm from Australia, like we got stacks of scary snakes over here.
0: Oh, I know uh, you, you I thought why is he so afraid of rattlesnakes if that was the or or just being so illustrative of rattlesnakes when Australia has four of the mo- of the five most poisonous snakes in the world. Only yeah. the black Mamba is in that list, and I don't know where rattlers are. You can die of a rattlesnake bite, especially if you're stupid with it, but hardly anybody ever does yeah you you've got you've got the, the the last word in poisonous snakes and they're a lot harder to spot from other snakes. you have the black snake you have the brown snake, yeah the tiger snake
1: the answer to the uh to the question really now that I think about it I, I remember it's it's actually it's not a great answer really, but it is the truth this song was. Was a song where the lyrics came last. Not all the songs are like that, of course. Some of them are the other way around. But this one was was last. When we recorded this album, we were doing this thing where we'd um I'd come in with an idea. Um, this happened for all the songs except um Joey's song on the record, which is Anoxia. But I, I'd come with an come on come in with an idea. We had kind of all the recording stuff and the little tape machine and everything all set up in a room and very basic setup, but it kind of worked. And I'd have a really simple idea, simple on purpose so that we'd kind of jam all day or, or just improvise of work around this little motif until by the end of the day, we rolled the tape and the end of the day was the, was the recording and this happened for every song. So there's, you know, nine tracks on the album. It was, it, it really was nine days of nine days of recording, but it meant that for most of the songs on this album, the lyrics were, were last and they, they were kind of by definition an afterthought because it was very hard to kind of write lyrics and and melodies and stuff in in that kind of like loose format but this particular song Ambrose was messing around with a vibra slap which is that right
0: right kind of right. instrument
1: it had a it had a rattle in it and it it felt like rattlesnake you know like there you go it had this like the 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 melody of it was of da 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 that no, no, no. don it's it's rattlesnake. it just um I think it had to be rattlesnake, you know. Um, So I don't remember there being a lot of thought put into it, but I think it was obviously
0: Rattlesnake. But there was a lot of thought put into the graphic descriptions, both of being attacked by one and from the snake's point of view of wanting to attack and watch the person die, and this, that, and the other. So I wondered if it was the fangs, and then I did all this digging, and it was hard to find whether all your poisonous snakes were rear-fanged, and that was why the rattlers seemed more fearsome, but no. I mean, they've got little short fangs in Australia they just have very potent venom in them I guess I think
1: I've got a a bit of a um a bit of a sick fascination with with um can we say planet earth killing humans or like I feel like I feel like I've just got a sick fascination with that it's 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 a theme running through my a lot of what I've written it's so it's, I've it's the downfall of not of, just you. <laughs> it's the downfall of the human race. You know, know. it's like know it's cut. It's our it's our comeuppances, and I, I think I've know. just I feel like it's what we deserve, which is kind of sick, but it's and, and, true. And, and,
0: and I don't go that far. You don't deserve that.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: You don't deserve <laughs> it either
1: Your daughter sure doesn't.
0: So,
1: uh. Yeah, no. It's um no. I have mellowed as as father as well. But I don't know. I just kind of... Like, we're just... We're just uh the... fucking parasite just destroying the planet.
0: Oh, I, oh I, I have a few of those too and I also um, you know have come under criticism from maybe even the crass camp and their fast way back for being as explicitly violent as some of my stuff is and having as much just total sick humor that I never have totally abandoned you start putting a halo over my head I'm going to find a way to take it away from you Yeah. even spoken word stage where I joke about the, the, the shuttle that burned up coming back into the atmosphere as astronaut fajitas baked on hot t- tiles, and uh, people are like, oh, you didn't say that. Yeah, you're dealing with all of me, people, all of me. So uh, I, 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 I get these things going on too. Yeah. Believe you me, and, and I'm, another, I'm, in, another, I'm impressed. I'm impressed
1: that um you, you're, you're, you think that I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of a violent tendency,
0: considering you oh, know some but of you the. Don't. That's uh, why. That's why, 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 because that's why Rattlesnake was such an anomaly. Even after all the, you know, apocalyptic songs that come later, this is different. This is one on one, you know, and stuff like that. It was, it was different. And another one on there that was very. Anomalous was Billabong Valley about a, uh, apparently a legendary outlaw of the Australian Old West, Mad Dog Morgan, who I had never heard of before, and I'm sure glad I never ran into him when in <laughs> somewhere out in the bush, that's for sure. Um, but you rarely ever Call out bad people by name. And Broderick Smith, in his own writings on um, the, the, the the Spaghetti Western one of the, the sky, well, I can't remember the title right now, but anyway, uh, it didn't call people out by name so much and stuff. You rarely ever do that. And the only other one I could think of. And it's a recent one, an Omnium Gatherum, I guess you'd pronounce that, the album titled There's Evilest Man that seems to be aimed at one of the world's evilest men, Rupert Murdoch, by name. Or let's say you're feeling Murdochian and that's a bad, evil thing, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty straight up. The Murdochian was, was actually added
1: at the, very end, at the very end, because I kept, when I was mixing the song, I kept, I kept saying it because it kind of rhymed with evilist evilist man <laughs> so that was that was sort of added i think i was i was trying to keep it a little more a little more vague but in the end, I kind of just thought, well, fuck it. Like, fuck this guy. You know, like,
0: he's literally the worst. I don't really give a fuck, you know. Uh, there's so many more in the country I'm from. Like, I don't know who's going to win that contest. And yeah. maybe we'll get into Gina Reinhardt at some point in this conversation. And in America doesn't know about her at all. But although a magazine that covered covered you recently, The New Yorker, did a deep article on her several years ago called entitled it The Most Evil Woman in the World yeah right before we go into gina let's go back to king gizzard here and the giz <laughs> albums next after uh flying uh microtonal banana was murder of the universe you know exactly what we were talking about and worst case scenario more ambitious in the words and but it seemed like in this one was when more of the music has is the authorship is credited as group written music and not not one person or one or two people there's more of that There's
1: there's a general trend throughout the kind of gizzard discography of getting more collaborative and the most collaborative records that we've ever made have been some of the recent ones um actually and that's been really amazing and yeah it's it's always felt good to do that and just sort of being able to kind of like um communicate with each other you know writing and not um Because, you know, even if you think you don't have a big ego, it's pretty delicate writing music and it's pretty vulnerable. And so being able to do that in a... It's getting messed up, I know uh, the feeling. Yeah, it's it's really hard to do. And I think it has taken us... We're still getting better at it, actually. We're definitely still getting better at it. So maybe that's a lifelong thing, but something that we've been kind of working on for a long time is more of that
0: murder of the universe also has a story booklet with the vinyl and probably with the cd introducing several fictional characters and a plot line i hope i get pronounced these right there's han tumi and later on comes balrog or balrog i don't know taking on and fighting the lord of lightning and i've seen an interview where you were one of your mates Says that these characters and there's a storyline has run through all the albums, but they're not mentioned by name until Murder of the Universe, and I don't think they pop up by name again. But is there a thread involving these characters in that area of fiction and Planetary Apocalypse and stuff that kind of connects through all the albums? I think the in the most ambitious version of our
1: career like if i if if we zoom out and look back on it in 50 years or something like that then we'll be able to say yeah that's how all of that linked, and that's how all of that made sense.
0: But at the, at the moment, I think there's still some gray areas even to me. Well, that's probably good, because I think it was Eric Moore in an interview several years ago said, oh, yeah, we know how this storyline is going to end, <laughs> and it's going to end on the final album, and that will be the end of the story, and we don't know when that final album will appear. It could be in six months. It could be in many, many years. Yeah, I hope it's many, I hope it's many years. I sort of feel like you know um, the end of the plot already, or is that going to evolve too? I think that
1: that might evolve. I mean, the the end of Murder of the Universe might be the end of the kind of whole plot, maybe. Hmm. Um, I mean, it is. I mean, it is. um, You know, the the entire universe being being consumed by by a um, vomiting um, self replicating robot. So, you know, it's hard to know what comes after that.
0: Oh, yeah. And then I first noticed on the next one, Sketches of Brunswick East, which I guess was your jazz album of sorts and has at least one guest that's prominent, Alex Breton, that a lot of the songs didn't have the full six or seven people on it. Sometimes as few as four are playing. And that yeah. seems there seems to be a lot more of that going on in the later later albums where not everybody is on every song, even if they 're credited as writers and stuff they 're not playing on it yeah, I
1: think um maybe it was around this period where we we, we definitely if you uh, there, there are albums if i think of before this if I think of oddments maybe that 's the most prominent one for float along Philly lungs actually as well, where um they kind of fit into this category too, but I think maybe it was uh more codified by this by this stage where we sort of just had an agreement where it was around the time when we actually started renting a space permanently where we'd record in and i think it was because of that we always had everything set up and we've always just had cheap equipment and we've never had any engineers come and record stuff for us and everything's just very free and easy and cheap and so it's always been well if you want to go to the studio and record something you know, that's that's awesome and if you wanna do something else or if you wanna go on a holiday with your partner or if you want to spend time with your kids or if you want to do anything else that's I mean that's fine too you know and we'll work it out it'll all come out in the wash like the people who are more involved in this record can be more invested in it or I don't know we'll play all the songs live everyone can learn them later and if you're not a drummer but you want to play drums on this song if none of the drummers are here we'll go play drums on the song the drum kit's right there go just jump on and so it's probably around this time where that became kind of the sort of mentality when it comes to making records and and that still very much exists. I think the thing over the years that's changed is we've we've had intensive periods where we've tried to get everyone together and it's like, keep this period free. We're going to just make music all together. But it still is very much, I don't know who's going to be here. I, I come here most days. Uh, I don't know who else is going to be here. So you just make music with whoever's
0: here. <laughs> Although well, they have to be for at least some rehearsals before your tour, I would assume.
1: Yeah, we used to rehearse more, actually. I think now that we do these kind of jammier... I keep saying the word jam, jam... I don't mean it in a jam band way, not that that's anything wrong with that, but now that we're doing these kind of a little bit more free-wheeling sets, we've actually been rehearsing less. It's probably a bad thing. I feel like we we know we can get away with
0: it now, so it's sort of like... <laughs>
1: We focus Sometimes on writing a bit more.
0: Beginning of the end of some bands, and they don't know yeah. it yet. But hopefully not with you guys. You guys got a lot more up your sleeves. I'm sure of that. We'll see. Um, then, then after Brunswick came uh, Polygondwanaland, which was the so-called free album. Yeah. Where you just put it up and make whatever you want out of this. And last I looked, supposedly 325 different versions of that release are for sale on Discogs. Yeah, it's great. It's
1: very very crazy to see that. Um, And and cool and humbling as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the logic for this was um, we released five albums this year and I was just conscious of just being a corporate, just fucking asking people for money all the time. It's like, oh, hey, hey, go pre-order this record now. Oh, hey, here's another one two months later. Can you please send your money here and we'll send you a record? It's just... I don't know, that's not why we make music. Like, we made five records in this period because we just felt a bit more inspired and we were just having a lot of fun in the studio making music. And it was just, was the right thing to do. I mean, all the selling of the music was just what you have to do. And so I think the idea, once we realised we were going to do five, there was always going to be a free one. Um, It was just, Uh it was just choosing which one. This one felt right, at least at the time, because... I was concerned that people would think that the free one was the shit one, (laughs) you know, Um, or the free one was like the loose one or the one that we didn't put much effort into or something. And so we chose this one because this is sort of the most proggy, most thought out, most considered one of the five. It's not to say that it's my favourite. I'm not sure if I have a favourite. I don't think it was even... I don't think it even meant that it was my favourite at the time, I think. It was
0: just the one that would be hardest to argue that it was the throwaway one. So which are the five, is in... F- Gumboot soup and fishing for fishies came next, and the eco disaster focus of the lyrics grew on each record. And of course, then came Invest the Rat's Nest. Which five are we talking about? Where Polygon is this? So album? it was. Um,
1: it was. Fishing for fishies, murder of the universe, sketches of Brunswick East, Polygon Dwyland, and Gumboots Soup. They all came okay. out in twenty
0: seventeen. I see. And then infest the rast nest. The whether you don't think it's a metal album, <laughs> it is primarily a metal album and you played a lot of those songs the second night of the san francisco shows it was kind of premiering the record that you said had come out that very day although i saw them the day before on the wall at the merch booth so yeah big old argument there whatever (laughs) um and that one the eco disaster you know it's the most frightening apocalyptic lyrics Yet, there is no Planet B being kind of the focus of the whole album. And in some ways, I'm surprised that wasn't the title. As well as that's when it seems like the science terms and the biology terms and maybe astronomy terms start coming in. I had to keep looking them up. what is this one? What is this one? What is this one? What is a perihelion or unless you pronounce that differently, things like that. So who is the uh, biology expert in the band? Who's the astronomy expert? Or is it all of you? I think
1: I think um, it's Probably Joe and I are the are the amateur um, science dorks in the band, and so I think we're probably um, challenging ourselves and each other a little bit with a lot of that with a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it challenged me too. I'm going to have to keep looking back to remember what on earth they were and stuff. But of course, um, with these apocalyptic visions and everything. Australia for a long time has had a worldwide reputation as one of the eco-outlaws. You know, and of course it's easy to say that in America because we might be the worst, except maybe China. I don't know. But long before Donald Trump there and, and, and the outer fringe of the George W. Bush crowd, there was John Howard. Your prime minister coming right out and saying global warming, as it was called, before the mass media softened it to climate change. Yeah. So People weren't so scared of it and they keep buying SUVs or whatever. I call it climate collapse, personally. That's the one I do on that. But I think he was the first head of state who was saying that this doesn't exist, it's all bullshit or whatever phrase he used, and that none of this is real. And I think he had a Bible-thumping problem, too, did he not?
1: (laughs) Yeah, funny how those... God-botherer.
0: Yeah, that's a great term. I knew Australia had a band called the God-botherers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as great as your band name is, Australia is the king country for incredible band names and stuff. Lubricated Goat and Ku Klux <laughs> Frankenstein and the God-botherers and... Oh, what were some of the other ones? Too fat to fit through the door. I heard, that, I heard about that one, and uh, many, many more. Um, I'm spacing on some of the uh, some of my other favorites right now. But back to back to howard and ironically his party is called the liberal party there's mm. nothing liberal about them you know it's kind of like you know they hate liberals even more than the democrats hate democracy in america thus they you know trying to keep keep the more progressive ones out and get ralph nader kicked off ballots and of course the british labor party hates workers you you, you get the point but um just the appalling things, one after another, after another. And then when when we were backstage the second night, I think it was maybe Cavs, I asked whether he thought that now that there was no longer a liberal government, finally a liberal government, out of power in Australia and Scott Morrison and Whatnot. It was conveniently on holiday. I think in the United States or Hawaii when all the wildfires happened, and mm. you'd be bothered to come back and things. It's just you know insane. You know, you and I. Thanks. We don't need to preach to each other about that. But is the current government in Australia? Is there any hope or any improvement? From the carnage that went on with all these liberal prime ministers, you know Tony the Abattoir, as I called him, and uh, Scott Morrison and whatnot.
1: Certainly better than than them, but and and and
0: the Greens Party are
1: gaining some traction as well. But it's still pretty grim, honestly. Generally across the world, no one's really doing what needs to happen. I think. I think, um, you know, part of the problem with politics is short-terms, when you're talking about very, very long-term effects, and people voting for themselves i mean i just think that's i think the 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 concept of if everybody votes for their we will get the best fairest result i just think that's fucking bullshit you know that doesn't make any sense and i think that's the way most people think about politics especially when the um,
0: evilest man or one of them is able to get so many people convinced through all the right-wing corporate but news as to what their best interests really are or yeah exactly or yeah aren't. You know, there's been whole studies and books on that in America and why so many people who are hurting economically and disadvantaged and having their jobs moved out of town keep voting for the republicans which i spell with 3 k's partway through the word and keep voting against their best interests you vote hoping you're going to be able to put food on the table and instead you get a ban on abortions and you get people trying to force their version of jesus into the public schools sometimes violently over and over and over again some of it is just what people think is their best interest yeah. and it really isn't we all know how that works yeah it's it's pretty grim out
1: there i i do think about um it's it's uh, it's it's hard to align on values with people I mean even people that um you kind of think your values align if you kind of dig a little deeper sometimes your values don't align and I just kind of I, I just feel like um in the most nihilistic way possible we've already lost you know we've already lost so many species the 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 kind of um planet earth and the, and the climate has already lost you know so much of so much is gone. And, un, and 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 unable to get back. And you know, there's rhetoric around. You know, we need to do X, Y, so we can be above X, Y degrees of, of warming to avoid you know environmental collapse. Well, we've fucking already got environmental collapse. We've already we've already got. It's already it's already fucking done. You look out your window and it's just a sea of urbanization. I just don't. I just I, I've got a, quite a nihilistic worldview, and I think. It's part of the reason why a lot of the, the lyrics of right. our songs are Brilliant. are grim. But you know, you just I think as I've gotten older and I've gotten I've come to be an adult. I think I'm an adult now. Maybe I'm not yet, but I think I am. I'm a dad at least. You've just kind of gotta do your best. Try to influence as many people as you can. And just fucking hope for the best. I mean, like And it's and it's not
0: a bad thing to remind yourself from time to time. Like if a Donald Trump is suddenly running your country and possibly the world, you know, that it's not time to jump off a bridge because there are still the good things, you know, just, you know, there's love, there's sex, there's the great outdoors, there's music, of course. I mean, there are good things that will sustain us in some form as we survive and evolve evolve or devolve as the case may be and um you know i don't know i don't know what things are going to be like for 10 years especially in the areas you're talking about and to a degree i i I do also just keep my head in a little bit of sand i'm going to put another record on oh i'm going to do that i want to make this i want to do that and um you try and get through it and and people even did that under horrible dictatorships and stuff during degree too, you know, there's still good things people find in life in Gaza, for example. It's
1: our um, it's our greatest, it's our greatest skill and our greatest downfall as well is our ability to compartmentalize and to go down in a ball of flames, laughing about it and having fun. It's 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 just what we do, and and you know, life is fucking good out there. It's it's like life's great. Like I've got so much to be grateful for, um, I really do. But you know, it does feel like we're going down. We're going down laughing. It probably is why I'm so just drawn to music and just drawn to doing that because it feels it feels positive and it feels constructive and it's it's sort of, it is pretty hard to do both of those things at the same time i think in in the world
0: yeah yeah i've told people many times you know that, that knowing as much as i do about the things i know stuff about like this and how the world is really run and stuff like that you know if it weren't for my super warped sense of humor Sixth sense of humor, I would have pulled a Kurt Cobain 25 years ago. That's partly what, what sustains me, and, and being able to retain all this information, including, you know, America's slow slide into fascism over the past three decades, and a slow, ongoing corporate coup, and who benefits and all this. You know, it's not easy to walk around like that, and I'm not a gun owner, and it doesn't make me want to do stuff like that, but it's still, it is what it is. A little bit more more on this the last two times i was in australia it really came home to me part of what drives you know your corporate people and whatnot to keep trying to Put the so-called liberal party in, and get these John Howards and Scott Morrison's who are all, you know, climate climate collapse and wildfires and the mouse explosion, everything else. That's oh, that's just the act of God, and that's you know, or or uh, even well, maybe we want this because then Jesus will come back and fix everything. There's a lot of that going on in America. We've had secretaries of the Interior in charge of federal land and the parks and policies on oil drilling and strip mining who say, well, it doesn't matter about our children because by then we will have seen the second coming of the Lord. Exact quote of James Watt, Reagan's first interior secretary and George W. Bush believed this and, uh, Condoleezza rice and a lot of the you know there's military generals. Oh yeah, we don't nuclear war is not bad. But then Jesus is going to come back. Some of them even think the budget deficits will get filled back up because Jesus loves America most. It's just oh, nuts. But what I noticed the past couple times I was in Australia is just how much the economy. And the people at the top who try to keep this as the economy in Australia depends on mining. Mm. Lots and lots of powerful mining companies and people and all this coal to send up to China. And we all know what they do with it there. And a lot of yeah, it's all, it comes from Australia.
1: It's all pretty bent, isn't it? It just feels quite off um, on so many levels. And, and yeah, even from a sort of idiotic point of view, I don't think we've made made the most of, you know, um, those resources that we have that we extracted or anything here um yeah. you know that feels like the mining boom is kind of ending a little and it's it's i don't think people in those areas are, are better off because of it or anything
0: it's just oh well, they just, just look um, for more i mean apparently yeah, when i understood yeah. that gina reinhardt that vicious woman that that has so much money and power in australia and accompanied scott morrison to the united states when he came to the united states when i was in sydney for the memorial concert. For for Damien Lovelock of the settlement rifles. But I woke up at seven in the morning and there was live coverage of Scott Morrison getting off the plane. And it, they made created the illusion there were all these throngs welcoming him and there was a brass band and everything. When I looked at it and saw a little bit of the frame, no, there's nobody there. This is strictly for help boost Morrison with Australian television and no sight of Gina Reinhardt, even though she came with him to talk business with trumpamuck and all that but meanwhile meanwhile before we get off this lovely subject of of living beings that are gone there's rumblings that they're going to try and recreate the so-called tasmanian tiger that's extinct you know, a a, uh, carnivorous uh, uh, marsupial that kind of looked a little bit like a... What's it called? A thylacine? Thylacine. Yeah. Thylacine, yeah. What do you think of that? Are they really going to do that? And then what happens? Oh,
1: pardon me. The cynic says, don't we have better things to do? The cynic says that. But on the other hand, I don't know. Maybe they'll accidentally discover that we can do something else really cool and actually helpful and interesting. You know, like you
0: restore know? severed spinal cords for disabled people or Maybe. I don't you know, know, who knows? Things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that finally this company from India who's claiming they have mining and drilling rights into the Great Barrier Reef that you finally yeah. is that still going on? I think it is. I hope it isn't, but yeah, that that,
1: that shit is extremely grim. There's, a, there's a, quite a few projects like that, large-scale projects in Australia that just should not be happening. But it's just so corrupt, you know, it's yeah. just money.
0: Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tell me how ice, death, planets, lungs, mushrooms, and lava came together. Um, A little bit different approach
1: yeah so we we had been uh in in lockdown for a while they say melbourne's lockdown was the strictest and the longest in the world it definitely felt long and we couldn't see each other for a long time um so we we made music during that time but um not together we worked out how to make music send stuff tracks online and all that shit we'd never really been a band doing that sort of thing much and we sort of worked that out for a few records but um when that all ended, we were just desperate to make some music together in the old fashioned way in a room. You see each other and you can smell each other and vibe of each other and all of that sort of thing. And that's what this record was kind of for. And so we kind of took that to a place that we'd never been before. We sort of went into the sessions with no ideas. We'd start with a song title and like a musical key, I guess. Yeah, a just... was a
0: scale and different, different scales completely.
1: We did sort of a different scale for every song right. and we used all right. the all the Greek modes um, and we just did one at a time and we'd just record all day um just leave it going and that meant that the editing job was the writing in a way it was it was like going through the recordings um, and finding a way to stitch it together. I think we'd heard we'd heard that can made some records like that. And we're like, that sounds cool. we should make a record like that. Uh-huh. Um, and so we sort of, we kind of had a go at that. And, you know, that's why the song's quite long and, and move through different kind of phases and sections because they're all sort of recorded ad lib at
0: different parts of the day. And more science and more eco-catastrophe throughout as well. You know, I, I noticed that that you've taken this to the point where you you've taken notice of all the little micro bits of plastic going everywhere all over the world even to the Art- antarctic and in the ocean antarctica you know mariana's trench deepest part in the ocean and and it's even there and i guess your response has been to try and do away with shrink wrapping your vinyl albums.
1: Yeah, I mean the the irony isn't lost on me that the vinyl is a huge fucking slab of plastic. That's not lost on me, okay? Yeah, me neither. I know. <laughs> that and CDs but, um, are all made in sweatshops too. Yeah. So, but you know, it's just it just feels like something that is is unnecessary to me at least. I mean, it's I know this the the shrink wrap has a purpose. But in my opinion, the car- well, they're sort of in between paper and cardboard. They're like a thin cardboard. You've you've seen them. The yeah. the sleeves protect the records better than the shrink wrap if they're fitted well. You got to get the exact, you got to get the sizing just right, and we haven't always nailed it. But they protect the records pretty well. They're a little bit annoying in your shelf because they're a bit bigger. <laughs> they don't but, um, look too good either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been uh, as as that's kind of gone on the later records. It's been another avenue for Jace to design right. something on, on right. them and print on them. And that's still a work in progress. Right. I've been hoping that other people kind of start doing it too. Well, I, I I, really I'm, I'm too of much.
0: two minds about that because we're not just running out of oil and other resources and even wildlife. We're running out of trees. You know, we can't clear cut forests forever. And so it's plastic. Or it's wasting trees. It's a very difficult thing. And as somebody who's peripherally involved with Earth First for years and still considers myself an Earth Firster, you know, I didn't do the tree sits, but I helped at the protests and helped fund the whole thing and stuff. You know, so I'm real thorny about wasting trees.
1: No, I I hear, uh, and uh, I think in a perfect system where every piece of plastic that was created was... Recycled. I mean, pl- pl- plastics are—it's like a high, high-value thing, you know. But it's—it's it's just not like a a paper cover. In my opinion, is better. I think because it's not going to end up in the soil. It's not going to end up fucking in the ocean. It's just—if it ends up in the soil, it's just going to turn into a tree again. You know what I mean? Like, give it enough time, yeah. it's going to be a tree again. <laughs> it's going to turn into—it's going to turn into soil, which you could eat, you know, or an animal could eat. And they're not going to fucking die or it's not going to end up microplastics in the, in, in the ocean. I think that's better. I might be wrong, but I also made a calculation that doing it starts a conversation, which I think we're having right now where you weigh up your actions and you weigh up what is important and what isn't important. And you, and you, you think about the little guy, whether it's the worm or the tree or whatever, or the, someone who doesn't have a voice, but I just decided that doing a paper um, cover instead of shrink wrap just makes people talk about it. And you're just doing fucking something, you know.
0: I hate to say it, but I have seen multiple cases of the store themselves shrink wrapping your cardboard wrap in-house or putting it in one of the the thicker outer sleeves you can use to then preserve the album cover. But in the case of... uh, Amoeba, which is a great store, but one thing they've done that I, unless they finally stopped, I don't like, they put, put stuff in the thicker plastic sleeves and they use really thick tape across the top of it. Oh, yeah. To, to, to seal it. So you can't reuse that plastic sleeve later unless you have the time and interest of putting lighter fluid on to try and peel off all that damn tape and hope you don't tear the thing first. So instead you just cut the whole thing off and away it goes. So it's it's a... A many-edged sword, and you know, I wish all of us luck in being able to. I you know, I, I wish there was other ways to make records besides yeah. petroleum in sweatshops. You know, yeah. I, is, I I think cool. I'm um
1: I think I'm due to do another. I've done this a couple of times now on the King Gizzard twitter account i've just tweeted out anyone know if you can make a record out of anything besides plastic yet (laughs) and a couple of times people are like oh yeah i've had a go at 3d printing like or you know (laughs) that but that's plastic isn't it 3d well you can uh, i guess you can 3d print with um with other stuff maybe cellulose some of that other shit that's made out of trees i don't know can. i'm not the engineer
0: yeah i mean Um, and 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 as i say i don't want to see any more forests especially tropical forests clear cut to at least they don't do it cut down old growth to make telephone books in north america anymore but uh oh yeah yeah that was a big battle over clearquat sound in british columbia vancouver island that the trees people were trying to protect it turned out the people were intending to make them into phone books And this was, you know, the last... You know, it was basically a cold northern rainforest and stuff with these really huge old-growth trees. I think some of them were saved, and there's many more on Vancouver Island, but they should not be made into phone books any more than redwood trees should be made into goddamn picnic tables. What can I say?
1: Yeah.
0: What can I say? Okay, back to the hive once again. You have one less person involved than you used to have, you know, and Eric Moore is no longer... Not just not playing drums with King Gizzard anymore, but apparently you're not on Flightless anymore. the label, which I assumed was the band's label, and I never knew when I briefly met him in San Francisco he was the manager as well, so to the degree you even want to talk about it, what happened
1: uh, I mean eric was um Eric was so important and instrumental with with the band for so many years um And he really had a big impact on just the, I mean, it was a group thing, but he was, he's very DIY, you know, Eric's DIY and and I am too. And I think that's why we clicked. I think that's why we always, that's why Eric and I clicked. And it was, it was cool and inspiring to just see him run a label and just do everything. And it I think that's why we worked really well together because we both just had that same attitude that. We'll just we don't know what we're doing, but we'll figure it out. We don't need help. We'll just work it out along the way. And that's what we did for a long time. And I think as Flightless kinda grew and kinda took up more of Eric's time, it became I mean he's just doing too many things. It became impossible to to do all of the things all of the things well. But yeah, Eric's no longer um with us. Actually that makes makes it sound like he's dead. Eric's Eric's alive. He's just no longer with with the group anymore yeah
0: but it also apparently you pulled the 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 giz albums from flightless as well and they're all coming out on your kglw label now or the or the Flightless Uh, one's going to stay on flightless because at least one of you when this was briefly broached when we were talking in colorado said he didn't wasn't sure flightless even existed anymore
1: no, Flightless definitely exists, definitely exists. Um, Their
0: website currently seems to say so.
1: Yeah, yeah, Flightless definitely exists. Um, but yeah, the the newer records we've been doing, um, we've just been running on our own label, and we just kind of keep that as small and DIY as we can, which we've always sort of done, and just, yeah, the idea has just always been to have the least amount of people working for you as possible. Everyone knows everyone, everyone multitasks, everyone sort of just has multiple jobs wears multiple hats um and it's kind of been the same thing with the label um but that's been since about um since sort of around around the pandemic it's been different in each territory um i think in europe chunky shrapnel was the first one we did on well we we actually didn't want to call it a label we actually just wanted to call it no label or some no brand or King Gizzard or something. So we ended up settling on KG LW because you have to call it something. right? But Chunky Shrapnel, that live record we did, I think it was 2020 was the first one. And that was for Europe only because that kind of territory just had nothing going at, at the time. And in the States, it's been since KG, I think, which was 2021. And in Australia, it's been since... Butterfly 3000. No, actually, KG was 2020. Butterfly 3000 was 2021.
0: But are the earlier ones staying on Flightless, or is everything moving over to KGLW?
1: Um, everything is moving over to KGLW. Just It's sort of made sense over time as we kind of started running our own label that the back catalog should just all stay together. In saying that, we still have a few different labels we've worked with over the years who we still kind of continue to work with on back catalog stuff. Um, There's a few, but it's mostly kind of coming kind of full circle to just, we're just running everything ourselves these days. Are you guys and Eric
0: okay with each other?
1: Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. Um, I haven't seen him for a while, but Cook saw him the other day, which was cool, and they were catching up about Popeye stuff, I think, which is Cook's other band, and yeah. Are you as big in
0: Australia as you are in other parts of the world? Um.
1: When it comes to selling tickets, if that's the metric, then definitely not. Um, we definitely sell the most tickets in the States these days. Um, but probably probably a decent margin. There there are other, you know, there are certain cities in Europe which feel similar. You go know, into London or Amsterdam or Paris or a few spots like that, Berlin. We sell plenty of tickets. But Australia, I don't know. It's it's cool to live here. I, I like Living here, my family are here, and I like it, but it's not the best to play here. I don't know, I've always felt comfy on
0: tour in the States. Another interesting thing on your side, I mean, as you know, I'm a rabid record collector vinyl junkie, and keeping up with Giz Records can drive people absolutely batshit. And uh, then I found out about all the live albums and stuff, too, some of which you were kind enough to send me and everything, which I much appreciate. Thank you, thank you. Of course. And, um, but then I see that see the, the, there, there's a little thing that basically says, here's some more live stuff for you. And if you want, and this is, this is really interesting and beyond anything the Grateful Dead ever would have done is um, that you have the bootlegs. Or you know, ma- make whatever you want out of this. Here's Jace's art too. Make what, just send us a big chunk of them, and it's all fine. I've never seen a band do that before. People have but- people have made cool
1: uh, compilations of like all different bootlegger things too, which has always been pretty interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I guess the way people have sort of made something a little bit unique with it, but that's been one of the funnest sort of projects that we've had over the last few years. It's a kind of newer one, but it's just something that uh. I don't know it just just felt right. I think I think cuz cause, cause we release so much music and and again it goes back to that thing I was saying with Polygon Dwyland where it just I don't like constantly asking people to buy stuff. I I don't I don't really like it. Like right. it just doesn't it, it doesn't gel with how I approach life or how I approach making music.
0: Well, I got to ask so, this then. I got to ask this. Um with that philosophy which I you know, I very deeply appreciate and respect how close an eye do you keep on your ticket prices? It's a good question, actually.
1: I, I actually ha- had a word um, to our team about ticket prices p- pretty recently. Ticket prices are fucking expensive, aren't they? And it seems like they've gone
0: up, like, a lot lately. Um, just... As a general, well, Australian um, ticket prices have been crazier than anywhere else in the world for years. Yeah. And I thought, wonder, maybe they think this is cheap for Australia, but, you know, scraping up against 200 bucks or 150 in America is not cheap at all. No. And not, and not populist either. There was at least one show. I looked on StubHub. There was one, and maybe it was a festival, maybe it was something else where they were selling different things closer to the stage for more and more money and more and more money. Red Rocks is doing this too. But this particular place, it might have been Switzerland. I don't know. The top price was $4,000. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually wish
1: that that was something we had a little more control over it feels like something that we do that feels hard to control and and that's coming from a band where we do keep a pretty tight close control over almost everything we do it i don't i don't love how expensive tickets have have gotten so you know, without you, know I mean? starving if you got any tips on that one <laughs> you may
0: be able to take the bull by the horns because you do have marketplace cloud And you've management and you're organized. You may be able to look at it and say, look, this is as high as we are going to go. And if this gets crazy, we will find another promoter because there's no shortage of people who'd love to put you guys on. The most extreme example, of course, was Fugazi. Yeah. Um, you know, five dollars. that eventually went up to six. That's it. And they, sometimes they wound up going with people who normally didn't put on shows or know how to put on shows or have the proper equipment to put on a Fugazi show or handle all the people. They eventually had their own PA and whatnot. And they were selling so many records that it didn't. Yeah. You know, they didn't have to pay a lot of their bills be by out of touring. And there must be some happier medium. Then you've been able to. It's something worth looking at long term. Ironically, the cheapest tickets I found on any of them were the back nosebleed or whatever of all places. The cheapest tickets anywhere, nothing lower than forty dollars. The forty dollar one was the Hollywood Bowl of all places, which I would have right. thought would have been really expensive. But of course, you want to sit near the front of the Hollywood Bowl. I don't think it's four figures, but it's definitely three. Jesus, but but yeah, you know that that's uh. That's a new reality to get used to. Yeah. But, but meanwhile, um, another thing, and we are kind of gone over the second hour, and I don't think we're going to go all the way to three, but we've got to get to this, too. Um, Let's get to it. Yeah, there's a, there's a few more little things. and then, then we're out of here. Um, some of them will skip here, too. But you looked me right in the eye at one point at night one or night two, saying you were getting apprehensive about how big the band was getting, and you weren't sure what you wanted to do about it. Or with it? Yeah,
1: I wonder what I wonder what I meant. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm truly, truly grateful for people coming to a show. Like that's 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 the truth. And like, I'll never take that for granted um, because it is really lucky. Like, it's really fortunate um, that you know I'm able to go and make music for a living. I mean, that's yeah. hard to do. I,
0: I don't um, think it's a bad thing to try and go as far as you can without being an asshole about it. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. But
1: no, but yeah, you know, I I just feel like um I miss I miss um I think what I'm trying to find all the time with the band is is that is that place where I don't feel like there are any preconceived expectations of what I'm supposed (laughs) to do. I don't want anyone to put me in a box. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, and I feel like as the band gets bigger people have expectations about the the part of the catalog that they like and the and and the songs that they want to hear or the night before where we played this or where we didn't play this or you know where we came to this city i should actually shouldn't complain about these things i, I kind of feel like an arsehole complaining about these kind of things to be honest jello um so it's, it's I'll, human, I'll keep it.
0: though you're trying to stay human. Yeah, in Michael Franti phrase, stay human. I mean, I know that from the get-go, my friends in Green Day really, really wrestled with that as the band oh, yeah. got vastly larger than they ever thought it would. But at the same time, you know, Mike Dert, the bass player, finally countered with, "Look, now that we have money." I've bought my mother a house and she has a decent place to live. Yeah. That's not. And, that. and they have been charitable. And even, even the Grateful Dead had the Rex Foundation, too, that they put a million dollars into every year for micro grants for everything from soup kitchens to schools didn't have any more musical instruments for their bands to somebody studying. Uh, classical tuba who needed tuition to all kinds of things here. You know, it's it's an ongoing thing. And at Red Rocks, I noticed, speaking of, you know, it's it's not like, I mean, you're star size, but you're not really stars per se in your audience's eyes. I mean, obviously, you're the, the closest thing to the front person and the guy who does lots of the writing and recording and mixing and everything else, so a lot of it is on you when you... You seem to handle it very, very well, and without going. Look how cool I am! I do all this. I am the great Stuart McKenzie, and you're not. I don't, I don't get that from you or anybody. I n-
1: think I don't. I don't. Uh, thanks. I'm glad you don't get that. I do. It's. It is cool to be able to go on tour. It's really cool to be able to travel and and just go on an adventure and meet people and stuff. It's cool to make music with your mates. But the small amount of the small the small taste of if you would call it fame or what, if you would call it notoriety or whatever you would call it, it's actually really not cool. It's really annoying. And it's just
0: never been anything I've been interested in at all. well, listen, all I'm the other stuff that comes with it. I'm grateful you're, cool. you're doing this with me for this podcast at all, because there's not that many Stu McKenzie <laughs> out there, from what I can tell anyway. And back at Red Rocks, I mean, your audience, it was growing by leaps and bounds when I saw you in San Francisco, but it was all kinds of age groups, all kinds of so-called types of people, even older guys in their 70s who looked like they'd been dressing Colorado country rock cowboys since the 70s. Some of them were there. Maybe they were hardcore Dead fans. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe their grandchildren were there too. Multi-generation. There were people. Some people were wearing friar robes. Or dressing in little King Arthur's court costumes. I don't know whether that was from some specific tour you did where there were costumes or what. Where that came from?
1: Yeah, there's quite a lot of dress up dressing up these days. There's um, yeah, there was on that particular tour where there was a, a a bunch of we were calling them the nuns. But yeah, there were a bunch of oh, I think I
0: saw that. I think I saw that. Um, yeah, just yeah. just you know, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Goth um, nuns and another part of the audience. I've never seen such long merch lines in my life. Seventy, hundred people at the at a time. You people were that that into you guys, and there was even old restored, repainted school buses in the parking lot, which made me think, yep the cult, the interest, the type of band to some degree, folks we are indeed looking at the next Grateful Dead. Well, different sound yeah. but the the, 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 the the fan cult level and they'll travel and everything else is um, it's huge, which made me think, you know how do you what do you do if you're the giz in this situation to try and be there for everybody? And so my idea for some future tour, Was to pick maybe five or ten of your best key cities in any continent, country, whatever, and do, like, not three days, not four days, but five days with different openers every night. And, of course, call it GizFest. I now see you've tried that to, in some form in 2018 and 2019 in Australia and gave up on the idea. But, but the fact that people travel and find the venues where they can all just stay there and immerse. And for people who stay the whole time, they get five different sets, not three hours a night maybe, maybe even only an hour and a half or two, but you know, kind of a, a cluster thing like that. A a festival where you get a different giz every night and all these different people, maybe even flightless bands, who knows, or locals. That was just my idea.
1: I love that Jello. If you wanna,
0: um, if you wanna help organize it, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. You do not want me organized. I've never been a promoter <laughs> in my life, and I don't want to start now. It's just not something I'm qualified to do. But yeah, then, it's hard. The, but, but, the, the bigger umbrella of all that is you make, you make and finish and start all these recordings. Spend a lot of time in the studio. How? Do you and tour what nine months of the year how do you balance your lives how are you able um, you, several of you have children and families now including you yeah it's uh it's tough it's tough yeah I mean, um, do you do nine to five in the studio and then come home to the family and it's a it's a strict schedule like that or how does it work um,
1: yeah it's 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 tough um i think we've grown up doing this I think from when the band started and we were not even yet 20, we've been doing this. So I think we've had a long time to figure out how to make everything fit, but we have had to make sacrifices, all sorts of ones. I mean, you Um, get incredible
0: amounts of work done. Well, we still have families.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's a testament to our amazing families, honestly, it is. And we couldn't do it without them as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard, um, but yeah, I think it's we've we've grown up doing this, so we've over the years figured out how to do it. We're probably still working it out. Three of the six of us have have kids now, and the other six us kind of becoming grown ups as well. So it's it's um I don't know, I don't know. It's it's just like I feel like I've been on a treadmill the whole time, and it hasn't turned off, but I love it. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. It's weird. Yeah, not, I feel not like not
0: everybody thrives on being a treadmill on a treadmill all the time, and that's one of my weaknesses. Is I don't. But, yeah. Uh, somehow, somehow, it all
1: works. See, oh. see, I'm a, like I'm addicted to it. You know, like I don't, I don't want to do anything else. And but, but you know, the the thing that I have gotten better at. I've actually had to get better at in order to keep my life sane and together is switching on and switching off. And I think in, in the earlier years of the band, at least in my head, I was always writing or I was always thinking about stuff. And, um, it was just hard for me to switch on and switch off and get into gig mode or get into whatever mode or, you know, and I think I've gotten a little bit better at that. But I think apart from that, I mean, when I go home now, I'm like with my wife and my daughter and I think I'm like pretty, you know, switched on like dad and husband and all of that shit. I tried my very best at least. I think that was really hard for me for a long time. So, gotten a bit better at that. But I think everything else is just some form of chaos.
0: <laughs> well, you've done an amazing job in managing it all and staying happy and staying human and all that. But as of now, part two of Stuart McKenzie, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Adios, mate.